right, well, welcome to Living Hope Church. If you have children that are kindergarten to third grade, they're going downstairs for children's church. They can dismiss out the back uh, with Miss Melody. If you have children that are older than that and they're staying with us or you just want something to do, there's activities on that back table. Uh, you can grab anything off that and take it back to your seat. Uh, there's also a sermon notes designed for your children they can grab um, and they can take back and use throughout uh, the sermon. Uh, today we're continuing in our series that we have simply called uh, The Exodus. And in this series, we have seen the Israelites call out for freedom, freedom from their slavery and captivity in Egypt. We have seen God faithfully provide for his people, but also reveal his might and his glory and his hope to the nations. We have seen him display his power through the plagues, and we have seen him provide a substitute for their sin and that tenth plague to any and all that would choose to follow after him in his ways. And in these past two weeks, we have seen God make a way and part the Red Sea. And we have seen God provide daily food for his people through the manna and the quail, despite their grumbling. And today we're going to jump over to Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And we're going to see the grumbling and the lack of faith kind of come to a head. And, and the people are going to be left with a choice. Will we follow God and his promises in faith or will we follow our fears? And if we follow our fears, will we, we will never experience what it is that God desires for us and, and what he has promised over us. So will they trust God or will they trust their gut and their fears? But before we get there, let's quickly wrap, recap the last two weeks because these kind of principles are foundational to understanding who God is, how he is provided, and where these people are coming from when we get to Numbers 13 and 14. So two weeks ago, we saw the Israelites on the banks of the Red Sea. The Egyptian army was closing in on them. This wasn't a small number of people. We said it's somewhere between 600,000 and 4 million people in size. Right? The small, and this is all of Wyoming on the banks of the Red Sea trying to escape, uh, escape Egypt. They were following God, but there was nowhere to go. And we saw God faithfully provide a way. God parted the sea, and they walked across on dry land. And then after they crossed, the Egyptians presumed that they too were good to cross the sea. But then the walls of water, that the walls of water would be held back, but God released them and destroyed them. In that sermon, we saw that if, and it's a big if, if we are following God, if we are walking with him, he will always make a way forward. But we also saw that that way forward will always require faith uh, to follow him. It took faith to walk across the Red Sea, trusting that God would do the miraculous and hold back the waters. In the same way, when God leads, it will always take faith and he will always, he will, that he will provide and direct as only he can do. God did the miraculous. He made a way when it looked hopeless and the people crossed on dry ground. We're really about to see a similar story unfold here in Numbers 13. And the question is, God's going to make a way, but will the people proceed when he makes a way? Or will they fold back and turn back in the midst of their fear? Then last week, we were one month removed from the Exodus, just a few weeks removed from the miracle of the Red Sea, and the people were grumbling and complaining because they were hungry. And in that message, we looked at what is grumbling and what is it that leads to grumbling. We defined grumbling by the Hebrew root words, and we defined it as whispered rebellion against God that comes out and growls and always tries to get others on board. Grumbling says to God, you messed this up, I know a better way. Or grumbling says, God, you messed this up and you're not powerful enough to make a way forward. Grumbling is a sin that says, I know better than you, God. And then we talked about how, like, what is the commonalities? What are the roots of grumbling? We said grumbling exaggerates the past, where at times it exaggerates a perceived future. And grumbling always compares the present 
to the exaggerated better past days or better future days. We saw that grumbling always exaggerates the present as well. It doesn't see reality, but it focuses and exaggerates the problems of today. Lastly, we saw that grumbling is an attack on God that forgets his character and his past provision and says, I know better. And we're going to see all of those different elements factor into the Israelites' mindset today in Numbers chapter 13. So the setting for Numbers 13 and 14 is this. We are two years removed from the Exodus and from where we left them last week. The Israelites are getting impatient, and the people, including Moses' own siblings, Aaron and Miriam, they are beginning to grumble once, against, once again against Moses and against God. And it's the same old grumbling we heard last week. So God tells Moses to send 12 spies into the promised land. He tells them to check out the land, to see how good it is, to check out the people there, to check out the landscape and the wonderful opportunities that await. He sends them with the charge to be courageous and bring back some of the choice fruits from the land. So Moses sends out one person from each of the 12 tribes, and he sends them on a scouting journey into this promised land. This is exciting because they are about to encounter, they are about to step foot in the promised land once and for all. God has provided, he is still providing manna and quail day after day. They have seen the miracles, and now they are emboldened and ready to take the land. Well, maybe. After 40 days, the spies go, and then they return, and this is the report they bring, beginning in Numbers chapter 13, verse 26. The spies came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community in Kadesh in, in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. So they give the report, and they start with the good news first. The land is good. It is maybe even better than God promised. It's amazing. It is fertile. It is beautiful. Check out this fruit that grows there. God's promises are true. The land is indeed amazing. I mean, I hear that news, and I'm ready to go and conquer the land alongside them. God has provided daily for them. God has provided miraculously for them. And the land is better than they ever dreamed. Like, we're ready to go. But then I imagine there is a pause after they all marvel at the fruit and they dream about the land. Because here comes the bad news in verse 28. It says, but the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amicalites live in Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So the land is good. It has been promised to them. God has kept all of his past promises in this journey, but there are some large obstacles in the way. So will the people focus on God and his promises and his faithfulness, or will they focus on the obstacles and let those obstacles lead them to fear? We'll find out. Verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people, for they are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak from Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices, and they wept aloud. 
all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt. We've heard that before. Or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. What a picture of fear. Caleb boldly speaks out and says, let's trust God. Let's trust his promises. Let's go and take the land that he's going to give to us. But the other men, they had seen the obstacles. They had seen how hard it was going to be. They didn't believe that God could provide, and they were scared. So what did they do? In their fear, they started telling their friends and their family how awful it would be. Kind of like grumbling. They didn't focus on God, but instead they focused on and exaggerated the challenge and the obstacle. They got others around them on board and with the bad report, and it spread like wildfire across the camp. Isn't that exactly how fear works in our lives? How it works amongst a family, a community, an organization? It takes just a few people to become preoccupied with the challenge, with the obstacles, with the fear. And then in our insecurity, we start spreading our fear. We start looking for validation, and before we know it, we are ready to turn around. And return to what we know, to where we feel more in control, to what is perceived as safe, instead of moving forward and trusting God. And in this case, what do they perceive as safe? It's Egypt. Egypt, where two years ago, where they were slaves, where they were forced to murder their babies, where they were beaten, where they were, uh, where they were far from free. In their fear, they are willing to turn their back on the promised land and turn their back on the God who provided daily and miraculously for them for two years. They're ready to turn their back for what? To return to slavery and hopelessness. And fear does the same thing in our lives. Fear keeps us from trusting God and what he has for us. And instead, it returns us to less than, to slavery, to hopelessness. Verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. And they said to the Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all of the signs I have performed among them? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this chance to gather, to worship you, to study your word. Uh, God, we thank you for this passage of scripture that has been uh, saved for us to study and to learn about uh, who we are and who you are. And so, God, I pray that as we study uh, this passage, Lord, that you would bring it to life. God, that you would uh, reveal those areas where we, are, where we are focused on our fears and our obstacles instead of trusting you. God, that you would reveal those areas where you are calling us to return to you and to, to find you and to trust you in. And God, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as the Lord and Savior, Lord, that you would reveal their need for you. The only hope for eternity. The only hope for forgiveness. And so, God, I, I pray that as we walk through this in the next few minutes, Lord, that you would speak to us. 
that you would use this story, that you would bring it to life, Lord, and you would call us to deeper faith in the midst of our fears. God, we love you, and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. So God has been faithful to the people of Israel. He has provided, he has performed miracles, and he has promised this land to the people. All they have to do is move forward trusting him, and he will give them the land. But when they send the spies out, the people are overcome and overwhelmed by the obstacles that lie ahead. And they become obsessed and and so preoccupied by the problems, they forget who God is and what he has done and what he has promised. And that's what fear always does in our lives. And that's our first point today. Fear focuses on the obstacles and not God. There's a story told that some 80, 90 years ago, uh, Notre Dame was preparing to play USC in football. Uh, their coach was Newt Rockney, the, the famous coach, and he was aware that the US team, USC team was better, uh, and they were bigger, and they were stronger, and so he devised a plan to intimidate the Trojan players. Newt Rockney went out and he scoured the city of South Bend, Indiana, and he handpicked a hundred of the largest men he could find. Every one of them was at least 6'5 and over 300 pounds. He put each of the hundred men in fighting Irish uniforms, and at game time, he marched them out onto the field in front of the real team. Now, obviously, this wouldn't fly now. This is long before the days of limited rosters and eligibility restrictions. But as USC watched these giants line up on the sidelines, they forgot about their talent and their undefeated record and who they were. And they began mentally to prepare themselves to be beat. And even though none of these people uh, were recruited, none of them actually played in the game, their presence on the sideline was enough to knock Southern Cal's concentration off balance. Newt Rockney's strategy worked. He had intimidated the Trojan players into looking at the obstacles as opposed to reality. Because of that, Notre Dame won the game. Perhaps the greatest biblical example of this comes from Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14, the disciples find themselves in a storm in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. It's nighttime and they are rowing for their lives when all of a sudden they see a man walking towards them on the sea. You know, probably know the story, but that man is Jesus. And so Peter, who is known for his boldness, calls out to Jesus. He says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus says, come. Peter got out of the boat. He walked on the water and he came towards Jesus. But then it says in verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus saved him and caught him. He says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? That story is such a beautiful uh, example of what fear looks like in our lives. When he has faith, when he casts his eyes on Jesus, when he is looking at Jesus and his promise, he walks on water in faith. But as soon as he looks at the waves, as soon as he looks at the obstacles, as soon as he looks away from Jesus, he succumbs to his fears and he begins to sink. And in both cases, the Israelites and Peter, when they, the focus is on the obstacles and not God and his character and his promises, then fear overtakes them. Right? The same is true of our lives. When we are walking with God, when we are focused on God and his promises, then we walk forward in faith. That's a lot easier said on a Sunday morning, though, isn't it? Because our tendency, our temptation is to look at the obstacles, to focus on our perceived reality instead of who God is. I like to describe myself as a realist. Some might say I'm a pessimist. But when an opportunity presents itself, when God leads, especially in the big picture, my nature is to see each and every one of the obstacles in front of me. 
a couple weeks, we're getting ready to celebrate five years as a church here in Green River. And when God began to move in our lives and call us to Green River some six plus years ago, I had a list of obstacles that were in the way. And then when I got here, there was a list of obstacles I knew that didn't even exist. I saw the challenge of a building. I saw the challenge of starting a church. I saw the challenge of finances. I saw the challenges of a new city. I saw the shortcomings in my experience. We were having a new baby and no family around. I had all sorts of doubts about who I was. There was great fear when I looked at the obstacles. But by God's grace, he took away the opportunity to return to Egypt for me. And he put some dreamers in my life that helped me see the future that helped me see the promised land and helped me help lift my eyes from the obstacles to the promises of God. So when we begin to feel fear, when we feel it mounting in our lives, we must take our focus off of the obstacles and look to God's character and his promises. As we have seen in this series, if we are following God, if we are walking with him daily, then he will provide, he will make a way forward and we can trust him if he is leading So fear focuses on the problems and not God. And along with that, fear forgets God's promises. That's our next point. Fear forgets God's promises. Fear forgets God's past faithfulness. It forgets his past fulfillment of his promises. And it forgets God's future promises. This is a sermon illustration you might have heard before. It's one of the great illustrations of faith. And it comes from the 1800s. And it it deals with a tightrope stretched across Niagara Falls. This stunning feat made Charles Blondin uh, famous in the summer of 1851. He walked 160 feet above the falls several times back and forth between Canada and the United States. And huge crowds would gather to, to watch him as he did this. One time he crossed in a sack. One time he crossed on stilts. One time he crossed on a bicycle. A bicycle. One time it said he carried a stove and cooked an omelet as he crossed. I don't quite know how that works. But on July 15th, Blondin walked backwards across the tightrope to Canada, and then he returned to the U.S. side pushing a a wheelbarrow. The Blondin story is told that that it was after pushing a wheelbarrow across while blindfolded that he asked for some audience participation. The crowds had watched as they had seen him do this countless times. They had oohed and awed as he had walked across. He had proven he could do it. There was no doubt. But then he, now he was asking for a volunteer to get into the wheelbarrow and take a ride across the falls with him. It said he asked the audience, do you believe that I can carry a person across in a wheelbarrow? And the crowd shouted, yes, they believed. But it was then that he posed the question, who will get in the wheelbarrow with me? Of course, none did. The story of Charles Blondin paints a real picture of what faith actually is. The crowd had watched his daring feet. They had said they believed. But their actions proved they didn't truly believe. No one had enough faith in him to get in themselves. The Israelites had seen God keep his promises. They knew of his promise of the promised land. But they didn't actually believe that God would keep his promise this time. They had forgotten what he had done and didn't believe he could keep his promise moving forward. And again, we do the same thing. We read the Bible and we celebrate what God has done. We look at our lives and we see God's faithfulness. But then we look at our future or we look at our current obstacle of the day and we believe God was able to do those things in the past. We believe he is able to keep his promises for others, but we don't actually have faith that he can do it in our lives today. We don't actually have faith that he can do it with our current obstacle. 
We don't actually have faith that he can make a way forward in our future. So often we believe, we have faith theoretically. But when it's time to trust God, when it's time to get in the wheelbarrow, in reality we tend to give way to fear as opposed to faith. Last thing on fear, and we won't spend a whole lot of time on it because we kind of talked about it earlier as we read in the passage, but fear always multiplies. Fear multiplies in our lives when we focus on it, and fear multiplies amongst the people when we are afraid. When something triggers fear in our life, our tendency is to focus on the fear, to focus on the obstacles, and the fear only gets greater in our life, doesn't it? If someone doesn't come along and lift our eyes from the obstacles, lift our eyes from the fear, lift our eyes from the problem, we can become so preoccupied with the challenge, with the fear, that it paralyzes us from moving forward. Along with that, when we become fearful about one thing, psychologists tell us that that the fear releases an adrenaline hormone in the body, and that causes us to see everything through a fearful lens. So not only does the current fear grow, but everything in our life becomes a threat and a source of fear. The fear multiplies in our lives. We talked about it earlier, but within family, groups, and organizations, the same is true. When one person begins to fear the future, or ten people, in the case of the Israelites, they desire to protect themselves from that fear. And they do so by getting others on board and making sure the organization, the family, the group, doesn't head towards a perceived problem or obstacle. We do whatever it takes to never have to face the problem. Fear focuses on the obstacle, the negative, instead of the future. The reward that awaits if they can't get past the obstacle. I feel like I've overdone it here this, with this, my illustrations this week, but I love sports. I think you guys know that. And I wholeheartedly believe that baseball is the greatest of all those sports. Uh, Tim Kirchin is a baseball writer, and he has one of my favorite quotes of all time about fear in baseball. Kirchin says, fear of the ball is why the seven-year-old child retreats to the safety of soccer the first time he's hit with a pitch or takes a ground ball off the lips. Fear is why the high school player decides to hit the books, not the ball, after he gets dusted a few times by someone throwing in the high 80s. Fear is why the kid in double-A flinches on the breaking ball and ends his career early. He says, fear of the ball is why baseball is the hardest game in the world to play. It's there all the time with every hitter. Anyone who says he has never been afraid up there is lying. And everyone who has ever played baseball has been hit with a pitch, they've been hit with a ground ball, or they've been hit with a line drive. I've broken two bones in my life, and they were both caused by pitched baseballs. It hurts, and for many, that pain and that fear of future pain will lead them to stop playing. If you're not a baseball person, you can throw in your own illustration. But fear and the focus on the possible negative outcome often causes us to quit. It often causes us to head to safety. And when we do that, when we quit early before we're supposed to quit, then we miss out on the future rewards, the future lessons, the future plans that God has for us. So what do we do when we begin to feel fear? When we begin to get to the point of throwing in the towel and searching for safety as opposed to God? Where do we turn when fear begins to build in our lives? Let's look at Caleb and Joshua's response in verses 7 through 9. They say, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is God, but the, gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So where was their confidence rooted? 
Their confidence was found in the fact that God was with them. God was able and God promised the land to them. So when we are feeling fearful and unsure, overwhelmed by the obstacles, we must look to God. Because faith is rooted in the assurances of God. First one we see is that faith rests the reality that God is with us. It rests in God's presence. This is where David found his faith, his confidence in Psalm 23. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though he is surrounded by enemies, even though he walks through the valley, he will not fear because God is with him. The Israelites had this. We've talked about this a lot. The presence of God led them and it shone upon them. God was with them. And yet they focused on the obstacles as opposed to his presence, his strength, and his might. We have that same promise in our life that God is with us. If we are a follower of Jesus, then we are told that we have uh, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God indwelling us. God is with us. Scripture tells us he will not abandon or forsake us. So when we feel feelings of fear, we must be reminded that God is with us and he doesn't lead to destruction but to good. Next, faith rests in God's promises. The Israelites had been promised the land. God was faithful. He was more than able and he would make a way if they would just trust him to lead them forward. All they had to do was trust God in faith, and he would make a way. We're going to see that fulfilled in the, in the future when we enter the book of Joshua. God will make a way if they simply trust him. So when we feel ourselves giving way to fear, we must remind ourselves of who God is and of his promises. Back in the fall of 2020, when we were all kind of dealing with or still shaken by the effects of fear, we preached through a series on the promises of God. We talked about the reality that all of God's promises are yes, to, yes in him. We talked about God's promise of good, his promise of a future, his promise in the midst of our worries, his promise of salvation, his promise of peace, his promise of heaven. And there are so many others we could have touched on. But we must know and focus on God's promises when we feel fear. I love Hebrews 10, 36 through 39, which reads, You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. We aren't called. We don't want to be the ones that shrink back in fear. But we are called, and we want to be those that have faith. Because it's in faith that we experience all that God has in store for us. The next thing that faith rests in is God's character. We can have faith because of who God is. Psalm 46 reads, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. We don't fear because of who God is and who he is as a refuge and strength. Isaiah 41, 13 says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, because I am the one who helps you. Jesus in John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. God is not fear. Instead, God is good. God is peace. God is constant. God is a promise keeper. God is mighty. God is able. God is worthy of trust. God loves you. God cares for you. 
God is God and he can be trusted because of his character, because of his truth, because of his promises. So find faith in him in the midst of the fear. Look to his character when you feel fearful. Next, faith rests on the foundation of God's past faithfulness. When you feel fear, reflect on God's faithfulness in the Bible and reflect on his faithfulness in your life. When you feel fearful, sit down and write down God's faithfulness in the midst of similar obstacles in the Bible. Write down and read of God's provision then. Then write down the times you have felt fear in the past and God has faithfully provided in your life. As you do those two things, allow faith to build in the moment upon the foundation of God's past faithfulness. Think about the Israelites. If they would have taken time to lift their eyes from the obstacles to the, to the obstacles of the land to God's promises. If they would have taken time to recite the stories of God's past faithfulness just in the last two years. If they would have taken time to speak of God's character. To speak of his goodness, his power, his ability, his love. If they would have lifted their eyes from the problems to God's presence. I imagine if they would have done that, their fear would have given way to faith. And that's the recipe for us as well. We do that practically by reading the scripture, by reading the Bible, by reading his promises in the Psalms. We do it by recounting and telling the stories of his past faithfulness in our lives. We do it through prayers. We cast our anxieties, throw our anxieties, our worries on God, as Peter tells us to do. And then we can combine those things by praying the scripture. This is a couple of examples. If we're tired and we're feeling fear because of that, Psalm 121.4 says, He who keeps Israel never slumbers or sleeps. Right? The Lord watches over you and he stands beside you as your protective shade. When you're feeling anxious and worried, Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be known to God. If we're overwhelmed by our burdens, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. If it's finances, Hebrews 13, 5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. If you don't feel good enough or you don't feel worthy, you feel less than, Romans 5, 8. My favorite verse says, but God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we weren't good enough, Christ died for us. Psalm 139 says, I guess we pray, God, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fear looks at the obstacles and gives way to them. Fear retreats in the sight of the problems. But faith looks to God and it looks to his promises. It focuses on him and his abilities and it trusts that he will make a way forward in his character and in his goodness. And it's so important that we are people of faith and not fear. Because our last point is this, and that is that fear leads to the wilderness, wilderness, but faith leads to God's desired future. Verses 20 through 24, we see the results of fear and the results of faith. Says the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see the land. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the, into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. First of all, we see the Israelites who let their fear overwhelm them, their fear that led them to turn against God. First of all, we see God's mercy and compassion here. It says that God forgives them for their doubt, for their rebellion, for their grumbling, for their lack of faith. 
Right? That in and of itself is amazing. But truth, that God is always willing to forgive us. No matter what, if we will turn to him and ask for forgiveness. We are never too far gone for his forgiveness. That being said, there are still consequences for our sin. There are still consequences for our lack of faith. Those that gave way to fear and didn't trust God were forgiven, but they were destined for the wilderness. They would never step foot in the promised land. They would never experience the good thing, the desired future that God had for them. When we give way to fear and we retreat to the safety of the known, when we retreat to the safety of our Egypt, we often forfeit the desired future that God has for us. If we don't walk forward in faith, trusting God, then we forfeit the opportunity to see God move, the opportunity to see God do the miraculous, the opportunity to see God provide, and we forfeit his desired future. Right? This isn't a salvation issue necessarily. If we have put our faith in Jesus, this isn't a salvation issue, but there are consequences when we don't follow him in faith. We touched on this during the Sermon on the Red Sea, but if we are not walking with God, if we are not following Him, if we are not walking in faith and and following Him, then there are natural consequences of our sin. And there are natural consequences that we miss the opportunity, the future that God desires for us. Look at the flip side, though. Look at Caleb and Joshua who responded in faith to God's promises. We're going to pick up on Joshua's story next time I'm with you. But these two men who responded in faith, God promises to bring them and their families to his promised land. Because they responded in faith, they're going to see God do the miraculous in the next few years. They're going to see God provide. They're going to see further see God's character revealed. and They're going to experience the promised land. Because of their faith, they are going to experience God's desired future. When we, walk, when we follow God, when we step out in faith, it is often hard. It's often challenging. It's often difficult. It takes great faith to trust God to provide. But it is always good. And we get to see all that God desires for us. So as we begin to wrap up uh, this section of Scripture, I think there's a lot of different places uh, we could be, depending on where we came in this morning. And the first question that we have to ask ourselves is, have we ever trusted Jesus in faith with our future? The Bible says that Jesus is the only way to experience his desired future, which is forgiveness and eternity in heaven with him. So have you ever surrendered your life and trusted Jesus with your future? If you've not done that or you have questions, please come and see me after a service. And I would love to share with you what that means to trust Jesus with your life. But if you are here and you are walking with Jesus You are a follower of Jesus. Do you know his character? Do you know his promises? Do you know what he is calling to you to do in faith? If not, would you in faith uh, give him your tomorrows, give him your daily walk, give him your future, invest and learn who he is and learn his promises? Maybe you're here and there's something specific in your life. There's something specific in your life that you're walking to and, and you know all the obstacles that lie ahead, but you know where God is leading you. Where is it that you need to trust God? Maybe in your life it's your family. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your future. Maybe it's your happiness. Maybe it's an opportunity or a job. Maybe it's your eternity as we talked about others earlier. But where is it in your life that God is calling you to move forward in faith and all you see are the obstacles? This week, would you lift your eyes from the obstacles to the one that is able, to the one that is good, Would you lift your eyes and look at his promises? We talked about this, but practically do it this week through prayer. 
through reading the Bible and through writing and reminding yourself of his faithfulness. So it's going to be a little bit different today, but I'm going to pray for us. Uh, and after I pray for us, we're just going to, we're just going to uh, listen to and, uh, a song. Just the lyrics will be on the, on the screen. This song is called uh, Praise You in the Storm. And I love this song because it really kind of practically puts into what we've talked about into, uh, into practice. Um, and so I just ask you to listen to the words and to pray and to ask God to speak to you as we play. Constant, that we can trust your character. God, we thank you for our, your past faithfulness in our lives. Lord, and we thank you for the promises that you hold over our future. And so, God, I pray whatever it is we're walking through today, whatever we came in dealing with today, Lord, that you would help us to lift our eyes from the obstacles and lift them to you. And God, we trust that your future, your desired future, is better than the Egypt we left behind. And God, I pray that you would give us the courage to walk forward in faith with you. Trusting you to provide for this afternoon, trusting you to provide for tomorrow, trusting you to provide for this next week, trusting you to provide for our future. Because you are good, and you are able, and you are worthy of our trust. May you help us to lift our eyes from the challenges and lift them to you today. God, we love you. It's your name we pray.